Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hi, Changemaker. Welcome to Grant Writing and Funding. And I'm your host, Holly Rustic, and I have a very special episode for you today. But before we get started, if you have not subscribed, please make sure you subscribe today so you get to have all of these weekly great episodes delivered straight to you. Anyways, I am here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and advance mission. So we're talking all this month, all the month of July has been about the needs and strengths assessment and within that different types of research and we've also looked last week we looked at IRB approval so if you have not heard those other podcasts yet or YouTube episodes please do go back and check those out to wrap up our final element on the needs and strengths assessment and to wrap IRB into this I have a very special guest with me today. This is Dr. Ellen. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. And big, big, uh, if you don't know this already, this um, this wonderful lady right here is also my mother. That's right. <laughs> so, so we're actually like, okay, super casual today having this conversation. But I wanted to invite her on because she has done needs and strengths assessments in the past. She's also submitted IRB approval for a few different times. She has a lot of experience in doing research. Clearly, I called her Dr. Ellen. She has her PhD. So I wanted to invite her on the show and have her share with you some challenges that she's faced throughout when she's done needs and strengths assessment and IRB approval, as well as give you lessons learned and ways forward that you can overcome any potential obstacles. So thanks for being on the show again. Yes. This is going to be really fun. Yes. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and read out her bio right now because she has a very impressive bio. Dr. Deborah Allen is the assistant professor of education at Guam Community College, an active member of the Pacific Islands Bilingual Bicultural Association and co-chair of newly formed nonprofit Talaza Micronesia. Her passion as a lifelong learner and commitment to the protection of indigenous rights and the environment have taken her on a journey around the globe, including 22 years in the Gulf region, Indonesia, Guam, and other Micronesian islands. She shares her passion related to education grounded in localization and sustainability of languages, cultures, and the environment at local and regional events. So I'm very honored to be her daughter. As you can see, she has quite an impressive bio. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm super excited today. So can you just kind of, I, I know I kind of described that you've done some needs and strengths assessments. Can you just kind of give us like a backstory on what that's kind of looked like and, and doing that? Well, sometimes it depends on, you know, like if you're doing more of a qualitative versus quantitative kind of an approach, right? Um, but can case, you kind of explain that a little bit, like what that means? Sure. Mm -hmm. So quantitative is more straightforward usually with numbers that you know data that's based on numbers mm -hmm. um and then your qualitative is more based on more like communication so it's a little bit more um i would say informal it's not so statistic driven mm -hmm. uh, it's more based on comments uh, interactions and things like that uh, like a case study even could be more of a qualitative approach mm -hmm. uh, focus groups and things like that Right. Mm -hmm. um, so the whole thing about, to me, a needs and strength assessment is you're looking at 
um, you know, whatever the situation is, and you're trying to look at a better idea, get a better idea to back up what may need to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so in one of the more recent ones uh, that was done or that I did and was involved in, it was uh, regarding the needs and strengths of, in terms of looking at people with addiction issues or mental health issues here in Guam. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to find out what, what they felt were their needs, but also what were the, what were the strengths that we had in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was done both with some qualitative and quantitative. So we did have surveys and we also had focus group mm-hmm. conversations. Mm-hmm. So you're really trying to get to the core of, you know, how things are right now. What is it that the people say needs to be done and how can we better address that? And hopefully that information then would be taken into consideration and in, in looking at policies or maybe new programs and things like that that might be implemented in the community. Right, right. Yeah. So that's awesome. So as looking, gathering your surveys, how did you actually do that then? Was it online? Was it in person? Was it a combination? For the ones that I've done, it's basically been on paper, pencil, Mm -hmm. you know, just hard, not online. Kind of go back and forth. I actually did kind of a more kind of mini kind of one at GCC, where I worked at GCC last semester to find out what was going on with, we had two different groups of students taking the same class and very different kind of outcomes so mm-hmm. to speak so i was trying to ascertain like well what is it that's making this one group be so successful and the other group is just having a really hard time that one i did online and sometimes i think that can be useful but again then you're relying on people going to the internet to do that so i think it depends on who you're targeting so if you want to target maybe large audiences and you feel that they probably have their online anyway and you want to send it out through different mediums, like say if I wanted to do one about, um, I don't know, something about the environment, like how important do you think the, it is to have a good relationship connection within the, for the, with the environment, for example. I might send that out online and put it on Facebook or whatever and say, could you please you know, take a few minutes and go and complete the survey? That may reach more people than if you're doing it like through your contacts and the email list or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it would depend, but uh, what we, for myself, what I found is like if I'm doing it locally here in Guam, it's actually better to go out with paper and pencil to do it mm-hmm. um, so that you're making sure that you're getting to a broader kind of population mm-hmm. and not just those that are going to be on the internet anyway. Right. Because not everybody is. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's that's really important. And I think, like you said, it depends on wh- who what your community is, who your target audience is, and just if you really want an anonymous or if you want even, you know, more getting more names behind it too. But I like, it can be very simple. And I know a lot of people, even they use iPads sometimes when they're out doing surveys. So even in person, they have the iPad. So then they hand the person the iPad, they do the survey on the iPad and then everything's uploaded. So they don't have to then generate that data, you know, and put it, plug it in somewhere. So the hard copy is good though, in a way, because people are more familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to an older audience, potentially, right, mm-hmm. um, you might still use paper and pencil, you know what I mean? Because they're used to that. That's mm-hmm. more of a means where if you hand them an iPad, they're not really gonna know what to do with it. So, mm-hmm. yep, that yeah. Happens. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing you brought up, yes, I mean, if, when you do the paper and pencil one, like I did need to put in all that data myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, it takes time. So that then would depend on if you think you're gonna get maybe 100 responses, you know, then you can do it, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas if you're wanting to get that broader 
and you know kind of threshold of responses then you're going to have maybe put that on the internet right because that's going to be too much for a person to input all of that right so talking about putting information in then do you have any good online um, databases or just databases in general software that people can use or that you recommend for inputting that data but that's a good question i wish you would ever look back on it i think it was politex or something like that that i used i can't remember politex. exactly it's something like that yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and that one was fine mm -hmm. um it offered a lot of different kind of ways to look at the data not to the degree that I would have liked it to have been more comparative. Mm. So I still did have to go in and do kind of that comparison. But in using that program, I could download the material in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were there for support, online support. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was really, really helpful. So I kept going back and forth with them like, okay, I tried that, but I tried that. And then sometimes they would say, let me get back to you on that because, mm -hmm. you know, it seems like we're having a hard time or, it, it just really helped a lot. So that was really actually good. And did you pay a fee to use that? I did. Okay. Was it like pretty expensive? No, it was nominal and you could do it like for three months or nice. six months or whatever. So I just kind of did it for the window of the, the study. Mm -hmm. And then I just downloaded what I needed to because you can do that. So I still have the data. Mm -hmm. um, but and I could manipulate it up through that time. Nice. Okay. And we'll definitely leave a show note for that with that link to that. Right. And there's also even SurveyMonkey. Um, yeah. There, even if you want to use Excel, I mean, it doesn't have to cost you anything to get your data. Um, but if you want more sophisticated software, then there are things that exist and hopefully they're nominal fees and they're, they're good. You yeah. Know? And, they, and they are just for the, the window that you need them for. Right. So, which is great. So any major challenges that you had when conducting a needs and strengths assessment? For me, usually the one that, that I have the most challenge with, or I think people do, is when you're doing the questions to make sure that it, the questions are very specific and clear, mm. um, that they can't be interpreted in different ways. That one I found, you know, like if you have different people even reviewing the questions, you know, it's still there can be some confusion. So I found that even myself, you know, like um, in the different kind of questions that I've done over the years, you know, and somebody will say, well, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Or by just by the very nature of that question, you're inferring something. You right. Know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's usually just making sure that the questions are are clear. There, There's no ambiguity, you know, that they can understand and everybody will understand because otherwise then you got to throw that question out. Mm -hmm. basically because you you can see in the results that i think they may have not understood that yeah clearly that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so that's one in which you could go back and change it but you can't so, right yeah yeah that's interesting so or can you just talk about how you rolled out the the entire needs and strengths assessment like you did some in-person surveys then what was like step two we have well we did the focus group with it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think that's important because then you get kind of both in or just either, sorry can we just stop, rewind real quick so the, the surveys first and then you did the focus groups or right? right so the surveys how many places did you go about how many people did you okay, interview okay uh -huh. sorry okay oh, no, no. so that went out and we only had like maybe a month uh -huh. to do that so actually some people helped uh -huh. yeah and took those out to some of the gatherings the community gatherings now, I personally wish we could have gone out more into the community, but sometimes that's just not realistic. It would be a challenge, but I think it would be a good thing to go out maybe to some kind of community events mm -hmm. to do 
you know, different surveys mm -hmm. uh, like the one that we did because the ones that we did, you know, we only had a, we had a specific population that we were targeting. Mm -hmm. um, so it's good to go to places wherever, not just um, the ones that we went to, but we could have maybe gone to others. However, having said that, in, in the particular one that, in that particular one that was done um, within looking at um, people that either had or were in recovery or had relative um, people, family members that were in recovery or, or not had mm. been, or those that worked with people in recovery. And this was again, looking at uh, substance abuse and mental health and or both of those issues co-occurring. So if we, it would have been maybe good to try to expand that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Do you would just want me to talk about some of the challenges that we came across then or? Yeah, yeah. So what sense. we could learn. Yeah. Um, so what one of the things that we found was that while in that case you may have co-occurring conditions, for example, but sometimes the one population may not be as represented. So for example, when we did that within the mental health community, that was really, really difficult when they were saying that this is my situation, but not the substance abuse situation. Mm -hmm. And for some of the people that we wanted to have more communication and get more information mm -hmm. from, they weren't fully able to participate in that conversation. Oh, because that, they didn't have both substance abuse and mental health? No, it was because they had a hard time. They, if some of them had issues that were blocking them from being able to openly communicate. Oh, okay. So yeah. when we went to one place actually, and we're inviting people to come into the conversation, you know, just their own apprehensions and mm -hmm. things like that, their own, you know, kind of disabilities, if you will, mm -hmm. and kind of inhibited them. Like mm -hmm. some of them, I had to help even sign, help them with signing or checking things off and things like right. that. Right. So mm -hmm. that may have skewed some of our, our study, our research on that, mm -hmm. because we were mainly getting it from either the substance abuse or co-occurring but not, not as much as we could have gotten maybe from the mental health side. Right, where right. it was mainly that issue. Okay, so then that goes back to even maybe some of the questions, like maybe some of them could have been more visual than written or something like that, right? So right. you might be able to understand it a little bit easier. So Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And some of the questions we may have that would, would have been better to have kind of done it a little bit differently. But for the, and also for that population, it was mainly the focus group. Mm -hmm. Um, so they were not really able to do the study, like I said, without us being there. So I don't know how much that that was, you know, like helping them to check things. Mm -hmm. So you don't know how much they actually understood the mm -hmm. questions even, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, and that could be in any, any kind of study that you do. Mm -hmm. uh, could be language barriers or other things, you know, that may be inhibiting. So even in the focus groups, where I, I really love focus groups because of the conversations. Mm -hmm. um, however... You don't know if one person in that focus group is going to slant the conversation in a certain direction. Okay. And of course, that that kind of um, that warning or whatever, mm -hmm. however you would call it, is always there when you read up on focus groups is that, you know, you may have somebody and other people in the community, you know, they're, they're you know, feeling that, well, I shouldn't say anything, or if I say anything, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and agree with that person because they're perceived as being somebody that they respect or something. Mm -hmm. So even it's something that we did in uh, Palau, mm -hmm. uh, we were having a conversation uh, with different leaders in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, some were educational, but others were, you know, just other kind of leaders. 
And there were things, again, you know, you had the language things come up, you had even just the recording sometimes can be problematic. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, trying to hear because some people are very soft spoken, you know, in, in their culture, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. You know, they're supposed to be quieter and things like that. So you're, you know, it's like, what, what, you know, <laughs> but it's cultural. Yeah. And so you may also have um, some people from some, like in our Micronesian communities, that they're not supposed to talk about certain things. Right. So mm -hmm. there's all different kind of variables that you have to look at. So I think it's just really doing, knowing the community that you're going to be talking with, the population that you're going to be talking with, and, and trying to get a sense of that and how that may affect the kind of questions you ask or mm -hmm. who you can talk to how you put people together and things like that. Okay, great. So um, in the focus groups, those are just basically, and I know we've talked about this um, with listeners before about uh, focus groups and basically, you know, recommending you have a handful of questions. You try to keep your group at about eight people, um, if that, and then you, because in a, more than that, you know, you're going to have, people won't be able to all equally share. Um, and then you, you have them in a nice private area, right? So people can feel like they can share, but do you have a recommendation on like the number of focus groups or, you know, the number of surveys even done just so if someone listens to this today, they kind of have a better idea of how to put together a needs and strengths assessment. Mm -hmm. For myself, what I found like, for example, when I did my dissertation, there were six focus groups and they ranged in size, um, you know, I think the, the most had like 10 or something mm -hmm. like that. And that it worked out okay, but you do feel that, you know, that you're reaching that kind of limit of where, how many you should have, right? Mm -hmm. But what I found when I went through the information, so in that one, plus in, even with this more recent one, is that you kind of reach that saturation point. Mm -hmm. So where you kind of start to hear the same things and the same, you know, it's, it's coming through the same points. So then you would probably know that, okay, well, we seem to have the general idea of most of the people in this community or this population. And I think at usually by six, you, you've got it. Mm -hmm. But again, it would depend on if you're doing it like for a corporation or something like that, mm -hmm. you know? So a lot of the ones that I've done are more like community-based and right. looking at, you know, different kinds of issues. So right. Not mm -hmm. selling a product or something like that. Right, not like market research. Yeah, right. yeah, that would be so, different. Yeah, definitely. And, and then so once you have your data, so you've gotten your surveys, um, you've done your focus groups. So now you have the information, you may be putting it into Qualtrics or to some other kind of software. Then what are you really, what do you, can you do? We and I, we talked about this last time you guys on um, submitting, you can submit these reports then that you draw up to like peer review journals, you can send them to the press, you can, you know, there's different things that you can do. Um, but as far as how do you put the report together? Hmm. Carefully. We're <laughs> <laughs> taking a lot of time. I think one of the challenges there is just re really trying to look at things objectively mm -hmm. without putting your own, like, I mean, you're interpreting it, but trying to interpret it based on what you're really seeing mm -hmm. uh, rather than, you know, it's always the things, you know, the, the investigators, you know, you're trying to make sure that you're not putting your thoughts into it, like interpreting it toward your, your ends, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of one of the challenges, but some of it is just, you know, looking at it in different ways, you know, so really trying to look at it from multiple perspectives, mm -hmm. you know, like what might that mean and how does that connect with the comment I heard here or how the statement that was done here or how they agreed to something there. So 
just looking at it, it, it takes, a, I think, a long time to really look at this, the longest time. This is the longest part of the piece, actually. You know, so you're mm -hmm. trying to look at things from all, all the different perspectives of what things might, and sometimes you, you can reach out sometimes um, to clarify if in a focus group you have their numbers or contact mm -hmm. information in there. So for focus groups, you can, you can check that, but you try to just take it for what it is and what's there. So I, I don't know, for me, it took like, that's where the longest part of the time, uh, the process was, was really trying to look at things from different perspectives, like how that might mean this, but what if I put it together in this way? And then how might that change it? Um, to look at the emerging themes that come out of it. Mm -hmm. And some of that is just by, you know, going through the process of, you know, how many times was this thing pointed out or how many times that thing pointed out. So when, when I did that and, and both, uh, you know, the different situations and looking at how many times certain things came up and in what kind of context. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, looking again at, you know, what was the age bracket and trying to see then how that may have affected that comment or something oh, like interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and also ethnicity, you mm -hmm. know, in our case here in, in uh, Micronesia. So, you know, just trying to look at it from as many different angles as they could, looking at all the different ways that it might fit in, in the patterns that come out, the themes that come out. Yeah. And, and then starting to write it into the report. Mm -hmm. And that takes the time. So sometimes it's helpful to put it all into charts. For me, I'm mm -hmm. visual, mm -hmm. you know, so I like to do that, like how many different ways and what kind of correlations might there be? And did it link it all to their age or to their ethnicity? So that's where I was going back with uh, Qualtrics or whatever, trying to see, can I break that down more? Right. And I could only based on, because I still had the individual uh, information data because I had input it. Right. So uh -huh. if, if they answered, you know, when they did the uh, demographic kind of uh, answers in that, then I had some of that information. Mm -hmm. What else? So that for me was a thing because I, I try to analyze it in all different kinds of ways and, you know, kind of see how, what was the comparison between like this age group or whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. And how that related to the different kind of answers that we got. Great. Yeah. Okay, perfect. All right. So now we're going to kind of rewind a little bit. Um, as far as even before you start the process, because last week we talked about IRB approval mm. and I just wanted to kind of touch on this a little bit since I've just mentioned it one time, but I want you to kind of give us some more kind of backdrop on IRB approval because you've done it with different research universities to get that approval in different studies. So can you just kind of talk about like that, how, what the process has been for you and then kind of the outcomes on that? Um, so, it, yeah, of course, it depends on if you're doing the, the research related to a certain university or not. So, like, for example, my dissertation, I was doing it through a different university, but because it was on Guam, I still had to submit for oh, approval here. here on Guam. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, which is interesting mm -hmm. because I was in Kuwait at the time, right? So I had to do it both ways. Oh, um, so wait, you were in a different country. Your university was in the in the state in the states and but your research was, was here, here. okay so then you had to get the local yes irb approval right. as well okay right and the process was different you know it was mm -hmm. basically you had to have it you know typed up and you know give to them and this and that right 
So when I did the, the other, like the other needs and strengths related to uh, substance abuse and mental health and co-occurring disorders. So that one was, you know, I only went through the IRB process at the University of Guam. Mm -hmm. uh, they call it a little something different, community, uh, Commission on uh, Human Subjects Research or something like that. Right. Uh, yeah. So, and, you know, other ones that I've done that weren't quite as formal, like we're working on a documentary. I think I mentioned it. So if, if it's something that I'm not actually doing a research, but I'm still gathering information and I may use that information mm -hmm. in public ways, you know, then I check through the college where I work and they said, you just make sure that you have a, a release form. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so that's all I needed to do for that one. But for the other ones, it usually takes time. Mm -hmm. So for example, especially if you're going through like a, a college or university um, and maybe the people that are in charge of that go on break. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's what I found out, yeah. you know, is that, you know, the one I had to wait over time, you know, because that was the last day or you know, through emails and I'm communicating and, and then they say, oh, well, actually we're going on break. So we won't be meeting again for another two months or right. yeah. 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 So you yeah. have to yeah. make sure that you set that up in advance. Mm -hmm. um, and then they, they usually want to have, you know, a full description of, you know, the method that you're planning to use. They need to see the, the, the surveys, the instruments that you're going to use. They need the questions that you're going to use, you know, so they need all of that information. Uh, they need to see your your consent forms and mm -hmm. consent forms so they have to have all of that and then hopefully they'll be meeting before the summer is over and they can give yeah, yeah. yeah get that information back to you so you get the approval i don't know of too many cases in fact i don't know of any case that's that has not received approval i've never heard of it but that doesn't mean that, that i've hasn't heard of happened. cases just for modifications yeah. but not denial like outright because they can deny you they can ask to modify stuff before they approve or they can just flat out approve it so right yeah but i'm just saying i yeah. personally don't know anybody that but then it was in a college setting when i was doing my dissertation and stuff so okay. we had yeah. to go through all the the training and you know take the right. course kind of thing so you knew what to do so yeah but really it's it's a pretty simple process i it think is. a lot of people freak out when they think irb approval i mean i know i used to and you know because you kind of hear it you hear horror stories about it for some reason, like, I don't know if it was more difficult in the past or just if you don't, if you just come in and you don't have a framework and you submit and then you are going to get denied or you're going to be asked to get modified. But now a lot of times what I see is that different institutions actually publish it online and they even give you templates and they give you samples and they make it really easy. And this makes your work to do your needs and strengths assessment even easier because now you've been forced to do all your surveys, you've been, or your instruments, right? And you've even had people review it. So you know, you have some credibility and be like, okay, it does make sense because I've had people review this. And you just, it's forced you to then get everything set and put into place. So it is good. And the IRB, then it's a good endorsement on your research, yes. right? Yeah. And then yeah. you can, publish it, you can publish it in a peer-reviewed academic journal, and that gives a nonprofit that you work with just so much more credibility to have something published in, in a place like that. So I think it's a really good thing. What else can you do with IRB approval? Um, well, I just want to, sorry, go go mm -hmm. on what you were talking about would be, you know, publishing. Yeah. Uh, so that was interesting for me. Uh, what I found is that 
sometimes it can be a challenge to find the right place to publish it. Okay. And a lot of journals, you actually have to pay for it to be published in their journal. Oh. I did not know that. I didn't that. know that. I didn't know that. And I was, oh, wow. you know, submitting, you know, I was looking at, you know, like, where could I submit this? That's so interesting. Yeah. That's almost yeah. like you get to buy your way into publication. Yeah. You pay your way yeah. into publication. That's yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. Um, Is that very typical? Well, and when I was looking at, when I did my dissertation, that was a little bit different because I, that just kind of went into ProQuest and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But with other what I found is that I had to look for where I could submit it mm -hmm. without paying. I, and it seemed like a lot of the ones that were your major publishers, the peer reviewed ones that you could do online, most of them you had to pay for. Okay. So let's just pause real quickly and talk to the listeners who are out there, the viewers, if we're also on YouTube, you guys. So if that is, that's the case then that we're hearing, you might want to go ahead and look at that if you're a grant writer and you're doing this for a nonprofit, because that would be a price that you want to make sure that you include, right? right. So you want, if you do want to go that route and say, okay, I want to get a big publisher and that's, that works for that nonprofit that even gives them more credibility or that's something you can offer. Like I can even submit to so-and-so of this popular peer review research manual that would be very good for them to be published in but make sure you know what the cost is. And I'll go ahead and include some links in the show notes so you can get an idea maybe of some of those costs. Cause I think that'll be something that you do need to consider putting in your amount that you're contracting for if you right. have that. Yeah. Right. So, I didn't know that, that's super yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, and it was interesting also that, so it was the University of Guam, mm -hmm. so that's our local university. So it may be the same in, for other people in different states or whatever, right? And that they could publish it without charging you. You don't get any money from it. You give those rights right. over to them. Yeah. But at least your work gets published. Your work gets published, yeah. yeah. So for University of Guam, it was just finding the right niche. Yeah. You know, like you could go through the School right of Education or okay. Humanities or whatever it was, right? So that that's kind of the, the route that I took. Yeah, Yeah, because most of them, the I've 20s. seen you haven't had to pay, but that's really interesting. So yeah, okay, so that's good to note. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So knowing if you're IRB, if you are going to go the route of IRB and you do have to get that before you start your needs and strengths assessment. Right. So make sure that you do get that and you're doing it in advance because they might not be meeting at certain times. I mean, a lot of them do email now for approval on IRB approval, the committees themselves. But if, if they don't, you know, then you may have to wait. So, right. Mm -hmm. And it, it is important to have that IRB because that, that really validates your work mm -hmm. and so if you go through and you're doing da 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 you know and you're all just ask people these questions or i'll just put out this survey it's still always better to have that because then it it, it, it you know it validates the, that the work that you did and all that yes. time and effort that you put in because if not somebody's going to come back could come back to you and say well did you have irb approval you know how did you mm -hmm. so and also looking at the ages you know and things like that of your participants so Right. Um, like one that we did, you know, it was with school students. Mm -hmm. So because of that, then we had to get the approval of parents signed and da 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 right. da da. Yeah. So that one was more related to um, transition between elementary, middle, and middle and high. Mm -hmm. So we had to involve the students and their parents, mm -hmm. and that 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 took a long time to right. Process. Yeah. I don't yeah. You remember that? That was I, I do remember yeah, that. That's yeah, a long that was time ago. Long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you have IRB approval for that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. have to with the, the ages. So that, yeah, that is something else to consider is 
if you they need to have parental not relinquishment but i guess it's permission permission right they have yeah. to sign so under the age of 18. yeah then you okay. then you are going to have to do irb so and irb it's not big and scary but it might take time probably will and basically you can go to your different research universities as an independent evaluator and you can or an consultant and you can still submit you don't have to be employed at the university to right. do that however you can also partner with a professor there on your research if you'd like to and sometimes that can push it through a little bit faster and give you a little bit more credibility but if you're doing this as a grant writer for a product then of course you would have to pay them too so mm -hmm. that's just something to consider great so any other great advice on needs and strengths assessment or irb that you can give people who may have never done this at all before and just are trying to figure it out to put it together i think it's it really takes time you know those questions yeah so even now like i'm putting together another one mm -hmm. right for um, another project that we're looking at here on guam and you know and i've written the questions down and at first it's like you know they questions kind of just roll off the top of your head or, you know, mm -hmm. off the tip of the pen or whatever, you know, and you're just kind of brainstorming and thinking it through. Um, but it really is good to make sure that different people look at it so they, they can ask you kind of questions back, like, mm -hmm. well, what do you mean by that or whatever? So that's going to be one that I'm going to be doing, mm -hmm. you know, for Talaza Micronesia, we're looking at doing a needs and strength assessment. So we're actually getting ready to start this whole process ourselves. Oh, yay. Yeah. But it helps to validate. So like, right. say we want to do certain projects and we need to get the input from the community to mm -hmm. know what their thoughts are on that project. Um, is this going to be something that is important to the people in the community and not just to us, for example? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it is really important to get that, you know, the, the, the needs and strength is the main thing is just getting the input from community members, mm -hmm. you know, trying to find out what their thoughts are on a certain topic or project. Mm -hmm. And our, our input is so important. Not everybody is tweeting, you know, we need to, <laughs> and we need to have, you know, yeah. that really solid information behind us. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, I mean, that is super important to look at what the community wants and how you kind of said, oh, well, we're not a company, like, so we're not doing market research in that way. But as a nonprofit, and as, especially if you're going to roll out a project that you're going to need to get grants for, or other funding for, and you're going to have to have the community involved, you do, it is like a market research project. And this is basically what you're saying is, is this even needed? Is it, is it going to be something that's going to provide a strength in the community or complement other or leverage other strengths? Um, so is this really something great? So that is really important. Okay. I think it's, it's, it's one of those, you got to do it. But going even back a little bit on the questions too, and I found this as well. I was doing a survey for people in the community with different types of diabetes. Mm -hmm. And this was something, so even if you want to start out your, your survey and have people review the question, but the first go out you have to get people's input, I would start with a very small sample size because they might find something else, you know, when they're actually taking the survey. And one of the things that we had to kind of just like throw those out and restart, um, and thank God we just started with a smaller group was we had, you know, uh, what type of diabetes do you have? And we had the different types listed, type one, two, gestational, you know, with all the different types and one answer we didn't have because we already had the preset answers for it so they could just check tech was there was so many people that said i know i have diabetes because i went to see my doctor and they told me i have it but i don't know what kind i have 
And wow. yeah, and we heard that like it was multiple times that day and we didn't have, I don't know, right on there. Um, it was just like, what type do you have? And they couldn't tell us. So they couldn't just select anything because that was skew the data. Right. Yeah. But it was like huge because that's not, that's something I would have never even considered. You know what I yeah. mean? Like writing yeah. out the questions, I didn't consider it. Neither did the people that reviewed the question. But once we went and we were interviewing real people with this you know, issue, that's when it came out and it was like, wow, okay, that, that's huge. It was only not eye-opening for the questions, but also just eye-opening for, maybe we should add a little bit more about what kind of conversations they're having with their doctors. You know, because if they don't know, that's huge. If you have diabetes, but you don't know what kind you have, like- That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's very <laughs> like, is it denial? Is it, you know what I mean? We're just getting more into the psychological kind of deep end of, of that. And it was just, really eye-opening in so many ways so it was are the doctors just not having thorough conversations with them or are they just not wanting to hear them you know so it was it was a really interesting thing to kind of whoa let's stop relook re-examine those questions and then try to at the end of it make sense of all of that like you said from the different dimensions so absolutely the questions are one of the most important things so having other people review them but also having a small sample size pilot yeah, a little pilot group that you can go out that actually are people that are beneficiaries or they, they meet, they're, they're your target demographic for that and just have a small pilot group to, to do those questions and make sure that they are clear, they're not ambiguous and that there's everything that needs to be there. Otherwise, yeah, we had to throw out a lot and then restart because we just couldn't go off of that data. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, so where can people, if they want to find you, if they have any questions, you're going to be doing this means and strengths assessment coming up. So maybe we can share some of that on grantwritingandfunding.com. We can share um, my mother or Dr. Ellen's um, nonprofit as she moves forward. So you can kind of see it in the real mix. But is there a place where they can see that, that uh, you guys are on social media? Uh, well, right now we're on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So Talaza, T-A-L-A-Y-A, <laughs> and then Micronesia. Yeah. Great. And I'll add that in the show notes so you guys can connect to them on Facebook. And they have a lot of the different things that they've done. A really, really cool nonprofit. And I've actually used some of their things as examples before in the past, if you guys remember. So this is um, for you, the vice chair of that yes. organization. So. And we're using some of the stuff that you've also been helping us with. So Yay. that works out hopefully. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun <laughs> yeah. to see that happening. But any other things you'd like to share before we let the people go stay? No, I just, I think for me, myself, mm -hmm. I love doing these. I really do love doing it. I love getting from people what they're thinking about. Yeah. Um, I love listening to people. You know, we're kind of doing some interviews, like I said, in Palau, mm -hmm. related to education throughout Micronesia on the different islands, and also just conversations in Yap, mm -hmm. you know, about the- uh, Beautiful islands, you guys. Yeah, about, uh, about the Micronesian roots. <laughs> uh, but about some of the, the selling, they're giving their land away and things mm -hmm. like that, and the impact. You know, so it's like, oh, I want to go and I want to talk to these people and get some more information, you know, because maybe 10 years from now, they, they won't have any of that. Right. Know? Yeah. So how can we, you know, that's why I think needs some strength assessments or just any kind of research where you're talking to people is so important. It really is. Yeah. Because well, yeah. you can help a community, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And they have the Talasa, they have a documentary coming out that you've been working on too. Right. So it's going to be really cool. So be sure to follow them and you can see some of the backdrops of these different islands that um, you're talking about. Like yeah. Palau and Yap, they're just beautiful, beautiful islands. Great footage. So. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, that's exciting. So you guys heard it 
Follow them at Talaza Micronesia, and that's on Facebook, and I'll have the links. And um, anything else to add? Just thank you for having me. It's been fun Yay. to talk, and I can't wait to get going on my other research that I want to do. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you had a personal interview with me and my mom today, and, um, she, and thank you so much for coming on because you gave a lot of backdrop to this. I think you really broke it down into actually doing so many of these and just being involved. So if you have any questions, you guys just send yeah. me an email at holly at grantwritingandfunding.com. All right, thank you. Do you want to join the Changemaker Tribe and get courses, downloadable checklists, samples of awarded grants, behind-the-scenes live Q&A with myself and the tribe, and discounts on grant services? Be sure to join the Changemaker membership at www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash membership. Thank you for listening to this Grant Writing and Funding podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your time. For more questions, email Holly at holly at grantwritingandfunding.com or visit www.grantwritingandfunding.com.